Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number six in this series, The Spirit and the Power. And today we're talking about the purpose and the power. This is so very important that we always link God's purposes to anything that we're trying to understand about God. And very specifically, since the Holy Spirit is the one that comes to bring the power of God, we need to understand what is the purpose in the power that he seeks to manifest. Now, I, I was in a crusade one time. It was, it was actually my very first crusade. It was back in 1974. It was on a college campus. I didn't know much about what I was doing. I just had a passion to reach people, win the laws, make disciples, that sort of thing. And so I'll never forget about the fourth night of this meeting, uh, a man came up. And I knew him, but I didn't know him very well. He had a, you know, kind of a negative legalistic Pentecostal background. And he, he said he had a, a word to share. And so, you know, according to the scripture, you know, scripture says that somebody's got a word, let the first person be silent, let that person share. And so I didn't understand in those days much about how to regulate a meeting or how to, you know, let him share kind of with me and let me determine if it was appropriate. I didn't know any of that stuff. I was just, I was green. Hadn't been saved all that long. But anyhow, man, when I handed him the microphone, and there had been a sweet spirit in this place. Uh, people have been experiencing the power of God. People have been getting saved. And I'm telling you, he unleashed on these people in a condescending, angry, uh, express, uh, expressive way of talking to people about the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, it shut the move of God down that night in, in that meeting. We, we barely recovered it uh, the next night when we came back to finish up the very last night of the meeting. And so, you know, I had, I had trouble with that. I had trouble with people who seemed to move in the Holy Spirit, but what they ended up manifesting or communicating in general uh, was something very different than how people viewed Jesus. It seemed like most people were interested in having a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, to boost their ego, to boost their ratings, to make them look anointed and special. And so it, this was something that, that I struggled with uh, uh, because I wanted to understand it. I want to be open to God. I didn't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to make it impossible for the Holy Spirit to move in a meeting that was happening. But at the same time, I, I needed to know that the outcome of however we approach that and other, other issues would produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not just enough to produce the power. You want, to, you want to, the power to be manifest, but you also want it to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So this takes us back to this scripture that I've shared with you several times in other, in other messages in John 20, where Jesus was speaking to the apostles, and he says, now peace uh, I give to you, 
uh, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then, of course, he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. And we've already talked about that in previous messages. If you haven't heard the previous messages on the Spirit and the power, you might want to go back and, and listen to them uh, so that you can pick all this up in, in sequence so it makes a little more sense to you. But I have always been just uh, inspired and, and my heart has always been grasped by this passage of scripture. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And the more I looked at that, the more I understand, the more I understood that what Jesus was saying is you don't have a different purpose. You don't have a different mission. You don't have a different power. You don't even have a different anointing. Matter of fact, the the apostle John and the epistle of 1 John said, listen, this thing about this thing about your anointing, that's meaningless. As a matter of fact, that was a that was a heretical uh, theological concept promoted by the Gnostics that is still around permeating most of Christianity today. John said, look, you're in Jesus. You've got his anointing, just like you've got his calling, you've got his inheritance, you've got the same power working in you. Uh, you don't need another anointing. You need to let that anointing abide on you, be at home in you, live in you. And you need to let that anointing teach you or, or guide you. And that's what the, that, that's how the Holy Spirit does it. He, he is in us. He is upon us. And he teaches us and guides us into how to function the way it would glorify Jesus. So we are called with the same mission, the same purpose, and the same power. Therefore, Jesus becomes our model about how to move in the Holy Spirit and how to allow the power of God to manifest through us in a way that glorifies God. It, it doesn't glorify our ministry. It doesn't glorify our calling or any of that kind of stuff. In Acts 10, 38, we've read this scripture already. This is all kind of review, but it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And so Jesus always gave the glory to God. He was there saying, I'm representing God. I'm one with God. If you, everything I'm doing is in harmony with who God is. And anything you want to know about God, but the way I do it, the way I teach it, he's saying, you can look at me and you can see that I am in harmony with God. And anything you want to understand about God or know about God, you can know it only actually through the Lord Jesus Christ. It always amazes me how people uh, wanting to understand certain things about God, their first, their first way of, of, of looking at the things of God is to go to a theological concept that has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, you just stop and think, if I don't look at Jesus first, then there is a high possibility I could actually misinterpret some of the teachings of Paul that are very technical and, uh, uh, and that go into you know, great detail, very important detail, theological detail. But in order for me to first be able to properly interpret that theological detail, I need to look at Jesus. How did he minister? What did he teach? How did he treat people? And of course, ultimately, what did he accomplish his death, burial, and resurrection? 
And if I go outside of that, if I come up with concepts of God that are inconsistent with Jesus, then actually I'm taking the name of Jesus in vain. I'm, I'm just looking, I'm vainly calling myself a Christian because I'm not considering him the exact representation of God. So likewise, I want to, I want to walk in Jesus anointing, and I want to uh, do everything that I do by the Spirit and the power of God. So keep in mind, and I've said this over and over again, Jesus never worked one miracle. He never did one supernatural deed uh, by any inherent power as the Son of God. He made it very clear that he did what he did uh, as the Son of Man. Now, I'm not going to repeat all that and go into all this stuff about authority again. You know, I've said it several times, and, and this is just one of those things you've got to decide uh, uh, if, th if this is a truth you're going to accept or if it's not a truth you're going to accept. But I want to talk about something. Now, I want to go into this uh, before, I, before I get to the heart of the Scripture. When I was found, actually, I was, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at home alone. I'm not going to repeat that story. I think I talked about it in, uh, in one of our earlier sessions. But even though I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, even though I had a very biblical uh, experience, I still was very ignorant because I had never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, other than reading it and didn't even notice or think anything much about it as I read through the scripture. Uh, but I didn't know much about doctrine and theology as it related to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when I first began to go around people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, they, they were very condescending, if you want to know the truth, and they actually misused scripture uh, in such a way that it kind of turned me off, and uh, the thing that made me question the baptism of the Holy Spirit more than my experience and more than my view of the scripture was how theologically uh, inappropriately people translated or interpreted scripture. And so, uh, so one of the big things that you always heard, and I'm not saying that this is so far off base, you know, one of the big things that you always heard was, well, did you speak in tongues? And so speaking in tongues became the primary proof that you had actually had a legitimate experience uh, called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think theologically that that is totally wrong. And, I, and I'll say this, you know, the Apostle Paul, he spoke in tongues, and he said, he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Mary spoke in tongues, Peter spoke in tongues, all of them spoke in tongues. And, and, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. I'm here to say this. Uh, there are so many other dimensions to the Holy Spirit and how he works in our life that I think uh, are more important than whether or not you spoke in tongues. The real truth is, if you're going to yield to the Holy Spirit at some time or another, any one of an, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to manifest in your life, and they're going to manifest appropriately. And, and I think that praying in tongues is incredibly powerful. I pray in tongues on a daily basis, if you want to know the truth, but it's something I do between me and God. But that, that's not the criteria when I'm when I'm trying to bring people into being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, my criteria is not whether or not they speak in tongues. Because, you know, you can speak in tongues and be a jerk. And believe me, I've seen a lot of that and probably done some of it myself. 
But I think if we're going to understand the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit, in other words, if, if, I, if the Holy Spirit's on me for the same reason he was on Jesus, then I just need to look at what Jesus said about this. So in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, as you know, went into the synagogue and he opened the scroll to a place and he began to read. And, and here's what it says in Luke uh, 4, 18. And he's act, well, actually, you know, he read this from the book of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, again, just let me remind you, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in him. There is no need to seek any further anointing whatsoever. And most of the people that get all wrapped up in anointings, actually, it's about self-glorification. It's about ego. And very often takes them off of the track of allowing the Holy Spirit to minister in them and through them the way he did in and through Jesus. So I want his anointing. I don't even worry about it. I've never prayed for any anointing, never going to pray for any anointing. I've never prayed for anybody to have an anointing, never going to pray for anybody to have an anointing because if we're in Jesus, what we need to be doing is yielding to the anointing of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. So now he goes on to say, because, because the, the Holy Spirit came in, he starts listing the reasons why the Holy Spirit came upon him. So these reasons began to form a part of the mission and the purpose for which the Holy Spirit came upon him. So he says, he, you know, he's come upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, this, I have no doubt that this includes uh, people who are financially poor because God has always in his word expressed uh, extreme compassion for the poor and the desire to help them. But this also includes something because what something additionally to that, because what you see in this passage of scripture, you see a picture that if you take this wrong, if you look at this totally from an external point of view, you will probably miss the greater part of what he's talking about here because he's telling you why he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when, when the, the Bible talks about the poor, uh, in many cases, it is reflecting or, or it is pointing out or focusing on those people who recognize their poor and desperate need for what God has to offer. The proud person, a person who considers himself to be wealthy and rich and have all of his needs met, that person really does not see uh, or experience a desperate need for Jesus like many other people might. And it has nothing to do with how much, has nothing to do with how much money they have. It just has to do with where they put their trust and how they define the you know success and those sort of things. And so, you know, this is a picture of a person that's bound like a beggar with his hands out. And the real truth is that's the way we are when we come, when we come to God. We we come to God realizing we need him more than anything else. So the anointing is on Jesus so that you can take the gospel. Now, let me mention, I hear people use the word gospel a lot, uh, but then in their services or in their invitations and altar calls, I very rarely hear anybody explain what the gospel is. You know, for uh, years, 
in a local congregation, every time I gave an altar call, I explained the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, I believe, 1 through 4, he talked about, he talks about and explaining the gospel. And one, one of the phrases that he used is according to the scripture. He's going he's gonna to tell you something. He's, he's saying this has got to line up with the scripture. This can't be some loosely knit version of what happened. And so the gospel, according to the scripture, is that Jesus died. So according to the scripture, what happened to him on that cross? What happened to him in his death? Why did he die? And then according to the scripture, he was buried. And man, I'll tell you, every now and then you might find somebody talking about the death of Jesus. You know, uh, uh, Mel Gibson made a phenomenal movie called The, the Passion. And in that phenomenal movie, uh, he's, he, he manipulated your emotions. And it was emotional for me because I knew what was going on. I understood what was going to happen. But I got to tell you, if a lost person saw that movie, they wouldn't have any sense of what happened to Jesus, why it happened, and what that had to do with our salvation. As a matter of fact, I can't remember if it was 15 seconds or 45 seconds that Mel Gibson in that movie actually dealt with the resurrection. We well, see in Catholicism, and Mel Gibson Catholic, in Catholicism, it's all about the suffering on the cross. But the real truth is, according to the scripture, salvation is rooted not only in your faith about what happened on the cross and in the grave, but mainly in the resurrection. Because if he didn't come up out of that grave, nothing that he suffered up to that point meant anything. So according to the scriptures, Jesus was crucified and he suffered and everything that he suffered, he suffered for our sake, according to the scripture. He was in the grave for three days and three nights. And everything that happened in the grave, if you really want to know the truth, our salvation depends more on what happened in the grave and the resurrection than any other factor. And sadly, very few Christians, as a matter of fact, very few ministers that I ever have talked to have a single clue what happened while Jesus was in the grave. And I'm telling you, that's where the ultimate battle for the resurrection took place. So I'm not going to go any farther than that. So then, then according to, to the resurrection. And so if we have not uh, in some way connected to the Bible, explain that to people, then we have not preached the gospel to them. So we tell them to believe on Jesus. Well, what part of Jesus are they believing on? Are they just believing on the historical account of Jesus? But that's not the gospel. And this is one of the reasons we in the 21st century are pretty much, at, the church is pretty much powerless and why you don't really see manifestations uh, in the church of the power of God like you saw in Jesus' day or like you would see under, uh, under the apostles' ministry. So anyhow, he goes on to say, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, everything with God that is real happens in and through our heart. Our heart is, the, this is the real me, my heart, not my mind, not my emotions, not even my spirit. None of these individual entities uh, create a, a totality of who I am, because who I am is part spirit and part soul, and where soul and spirit come together, 
this is where I discover the real me. And so the problem is once we have a broken heart, we lose our capability to trust God. We lose our ability to relate to God properly. We're afraid. We, we close down our heart. We close down trusting people. We are afraid to trust God. Now, the book of Jeremiah, famously, people quote this scripture in Jeremiah where it says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Um, uh, you know, who can know it? And interestingly, when you look up that scripture in Jeremiah, in the Hebrew language, it actually says the heart is covered with footprints, therefore chaotic. Who can, who can know that? You know, see, footprints represent pain. You know, we use a terminology, people walking all over you. Well, people walk all over your life, your whole heart, and they crush you. They crush your sense of self. They crush your identity. They crush your self-worth. They, they crush everything internally about you. And that's, that's why there's footprints all over your heart. And then that, that brings us to a place where the, our heart is broken. It does not function as it should be. And I'm telling you, only coming to Jesus is the only way that people get a new spirit and a new heart. And this needs to be part of the gospel that we need to be sharing with people. Remember, Romans 10 uh, says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And one of the worst biblical interpretations I've ever heard in my whole life is that the logos represents the written word of God, which is absolutely incorrect. And that the rhema uh, represents the spoken word of God from God himself. That is not at all what that is. As a matter of fact, in Romans 10, when it talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, um, it, it, is re, it is referring to the rhema of God, and the rhema of God is the word spoken to you by the preacher. If the preacher doesn't tell you about what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection, and part of what happened on the cross when it says that, you know, that Jesus, he carried all of our sickness and diseases, that includes emotional sickness and diseases. We can get a brand new heart, and if we tell people that, I'm telling you, you will be surprised at the differences people will, will experience as they're, you know, as they're walking out of church. And then he goes on to say, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Some translation says to set the captives free. And so, again, we tend to read that and say, okay, that, that's about demon possession. No, this passage of scripture here, and, you know, I've, I've taken, I don't even know how many people in my lifetime in America and around the world through deliverance. And so I'm not opposed to that. I don't have a problem with that. But this passage right here is talking about what happens to people when they have a broken heart. And the captivity that it is talking about here is like a prisoner of war. It, it, is, it is a person who, because they've got a broken heart, they have become captive to their hurt, to their pain, to their fear, to their unbelief, and they have to be set at liberty. And so, in other words, they need what the, really what the Bible in the original language would refer to as, uh, as a certificate of the paid debt. In other, words, in other words, their sins of the past, their bad relationships of the past, all these things that hurt them and have taken them emotionally and mentally captive, they can be instantly and immediately set free from all that. And that's, you know, usually people blame that on demons. That's not demons. That is beliefs. And that is based on what's going on in your heart. Then the next verse says, 
and to recover sight to them that are blind. Now, I've preached crusades in many countries in the world, and one of the most common miracles I always saw in my crusades uh, was blind people being healed. So I'm not opposed. So I'm not opposed to any anything that's in the Bible. But in context, this is not talking about people who are physically blind. In Mark uh, 6, uh, verse 38 through 44, we have the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I'm going to kind of zip through it pretty fast because I'm trying to cover a whole lot of material here. You know, the, the, the disciples came to Jesus and said, look, we need to send the people away. There, you know, there's not a 7-Eleven. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's not a Sonic burger. There's not an In-N-Out burger anywhere. They got to go somewhere and get something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And so, you know, he told them to go out and see what they could find. So they came back to him and he brought five loaves of bread and two fish. And so it says in verse 39, then he commanded them to have all the people sit down in groups. Everything had to be orderly. And uh, they did. They sat in the green grass and they sat down in ranks in the hundreds and in fifties. And in verse 41, it says, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. Now, this phrase, looked up into heaven, is in the Greek, the exact same phrase that's used over in uh, uh, Luke 4, 18, where it says, recovering sight to the blind. So the better translation here would be that he took all of these loaves and took these fish and he looked to heaven, why? To recover his sight. Well, are you saying he went blind? No, I am saying that the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just as we are. I can tell you this, if I was standing there, you know, you got 5,000 men, that means if all of them brought a wife, you got 10,000 people, if all of them had two or three kids apiece, you're talking about upwards of 20 to 25,000 people. So I'm sitting there with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And I'm saying, well, wait a minute. The need far surpasses my resources. I don't have the food to fill. So if I were standing there, I, I'd be kind of in a panic about, about what I was going to do. So if Jesus is tempted the same way that we are, then he had to feel that. He had to feel that sense of, oh, man, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how this is going to be done. So what did he do? And so just getting into that emotion, he looked to heaven. And when he looked to heaven, he recovered sight. And he began to see this from God's perspective. And then he did something so incredible. He didn't just say, okay, in the name of, in the name of me, you know, multiple, but no. Now that he had recovered sight, then he blessed the bread. He spoke over the bread. He spoke the multiplication over the bread. He used his authority to, to do that, which is the same authority that you and I have. And then he began, you know, keep in mind, there were five baskets. That didn't just suddenly turn into, you know, a thousand baskets. As he broke the bread, it always multiplied, just like just like, you know, the woman with the, with the, the, the oil that ministered to the prophet in the Old Testament, the, the oil never ran out, the grain never ran out. And so, you know, we need to be those people who, who believe that the miracle is going to happen in the process. And of course, then it goes on to say, he's going to set liberty, those who are crushed, who are bruised, 
And for time, I'm not going to move to go into the details on that. And then proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of the Jubilee, where all debts of all kinds, whether you deserve it or not, are forgiven. I want to jump down here. Isaiah 42, in verse uh, 7, it talks about uh, how that God is a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison house, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Now, this is so relates to this concept of opening blind eyes, because this depicts a person who is sitting in a dark prison. There's no light shining into it. And the prison door is already open. But the problem is because he is in darkness, he can't see that the prison door is open. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, he unlocked all the prison doors. They all, all those doors swung open. But the question is, has this person connected with God and have the eyes of their heart been opened? And they suddenly realize, wait a minute, the prison door is open. I can just walk out of it. See, these things here tell you why you have the Holy Spirit in you, how the Holy Spirit wants to minister through you, what He wants to accomplish, what He wants to accomplish in people's lives. So you know what? Go back and read these things and just ask yourself, is this what I'm yielding to when the Holy Spirit comes to me? Listen, I'll talk to you again next week. You be ready. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.